welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I'm your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you for joining me. We are nearing the end of our July contest. This month's theme is the towering stack of to-be-read books, the TBR pile, the TBR shelf, the TBR list, however you try to keep your books organized. If you post a picture of your TBR pile on Instagram and tag us at Happy Writer Podcast, you will be entered to win a free book. Uh, so please check it out. Full details are on our Instagram page, and that is ending in just a few days. So definitely get on it. One thing that's been making me happy this week is audiobooks. And I can't believe I haven't used this one before because this is totally one of my favorite things in the world. Talking about TBR piles, audiobooks are pretty much the only way that I get any bonus reading done anymore um, because. Doing this podcast, I feel like I'm it's all that I can do to stay on top of reading for upcoming guests, which means that I don't get a whole lot of time anymore to read, quote unquote, just for me, you know, just the fun things. Uh, and so thank goodness for audiobooks and getting to read, you know, in my car or while I'm picking up my house or whatever. Uh, they have been a lifesaver. And now we're starting to do more like family road trips. And here just last week, we had to drive to Eastern Washington. Uh, so for the first time, we popped in a family audiobook and all listened to it. And it's like, oh, this is so great. So I hope that becomes a new favorite thing when we're traveling. It seemed a lot more wholesome than everyone just staring at screens the whole time, which was kind of our MO before then, embarrassed to say. And I am super happy to be talking to today's guest. Amy Kim Kibuishi is the writer and artist of Sorcerers and Secretaries, a two-book series for Tokyopop. And her upcoming fantasy graphic novel, Realm of the Blue Mist, book one of the Rima Chronicles, will be coming out next spring. Kazu Kibuishi is the editor and art director of the Explorer and Flight comic anthologies, and the creator of the webcomic Copper, as well as the illustrator of the 15th anniversary edition of Harry Potter. He's also the writer and artist of Daisy Cutter, The Last Train, and the New York Times best-selling graphic novel series, Amulet. Please welcome Amy Kim and Kazu Kibuishi. Hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello, welcome to the show. It's such an honor to be here. I am super excited. Um, I'm a huge fan of your work, Kazu, and I'm so excited, Amy, to hear more about your upcoming graphic novel when Kazu suggested that you join us today. I got super, super excited um, just to talk and hear all about it. So I know it was a little bit of a last minute thing, um, but I'm really happy that you could join us. I'm happy to. He's like my biggest fan. So thanks, Kazu. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That's important in a spouse, I think. Yeah. My husband always jokes that he's the uh, president of the Marissa Meyer fan club. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Why don't we kick this off? Amy, would you please tell us more about your upcoming series, The Rima Chronicles? Sure. Well, um, the story is a middle, it's a middle grade graphic novel series, and it kind of follows um the journey of a young lady named Tabby Simon and her quest to find answers surrounding her father's mysterious death. And it kind of leads her through a portal to another world called Rima. And she meets this handsome guy and they kind of go on an adventure and try to get, he tries to get her back home, but she just gets sucked into the sort of political and mythological and historical stuff that's happening on that planet. Um, but yeah, the first book, uh, it comes out March 1st in 2022. And I'm so excited because I've been working on it like pretty much my entire life. <laughs> it's a real cathartic to finally have it in a, in a form that I feel like this is the book it's always meant to be. You say you've been working on it pretty much your entire life. Like really, how long do you think you've been working on this? Since I was 12. Oh my goodness. Like in earnest, it wasn't just sort of like, oh, I had an idea in the back of my mind, but like I've rewritten it over and over and over from start to finish. And it's had a life as a 
sort of popular webcomic and I wrote it as a straight up prose novel for seven years. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I just, it's a, it's a story that just is really, um, it was like my sort of imagination playground, you know, anytime I've got inspired by anything, I'd be like, what would it be like if I applied that idea to these characters in Rima? And it all just started with a really strong dream that just stuck with me. And it, it came like fully packaged. It had like the world, the characters and the atmosphere. And I've just been trying to find a way to get back to that place like my entire life. And um, I didn't, I feel like I didn't really get to it until now. So I guess it just, I took, I had to like mature as a person, I think, before I could really express what I was trying to do. Right. No, that makes sense. I often think about things that I wrote when I was a teenager that I still have a spot in my heart for those stories, you know, and, and how excited I was about them at the time. But for me, a lot of them were like these big epic fantasies that I just wasn't prepared to write. Like I didn't have the skill set for a, a big epic story yet. Um, and I love that you have still been working on this and I've seen it through many different renditions. And now doing the graphic novels, does it feel like, okay, this is what it's meant was meant to be all along. And it's just, we just finally got here. Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of a bittersweet experience seeing that manifest in front of me for the first time. Like when it finally started to sink in, like, oh, this is it. This is home for these guys, you know, because there, there were like these internal, like, I don't talk to them in my head or anything, but they came in my mind fully formed. So it's kind of like I've been carrying them along the whole time. And to see it manifest in a way where I'm like, this is definitely what I was dreaming of when I was 12. I just kind of, it's bittersweet because it means it's the beginning of a long goodbye kind of, you know, mm, right. Right. Oh, That's so cool. Do you have any idea how many will be in the series? I mean, I want there to be five books at least okay. because I have the whole series mapped out and that's how long about it's going to take. But I mean, I can't control the market and stuff. So <laughs> whatever happens, sure. I'll do my best. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I can't wait to read it. And I do have to ask your, your summary, you mentioned she meets a handsome guy. Is that a love interest? Cause I feel like there's not enough love interest in middle grade. It is a love interest. And it's funny because that was one of the um, sticking points for when I had it as a prose novel, I actually shopped it around to several publishers and um, there were two editors that got back to me that I really, really respect. And um, they were just saying, they just said, well, this has a lot of potential and we'd like to publish it if you take out the love story because there's no such thing as love stories in middle grade. And I was just like, you know, I can't do that because the love story is kind of the whole reason I wrote this thing, you know, the dream. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was like, why would I live my entire life with this story only to get rid of the most important aspect of it just to get published? So I was like, no, I can't do that. And so I never pursued it all the way. Um, but you know, Scholastic, once they saw me doing it as a graphic novel, the editor there, Cassandra Pelham Fulton, she was just like, yeah, you could do whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, they had a lot of faith in me, I think because of sorcerers and secretaries and they know they've known me over the years, just sort of clinging on to Kazoo's arms as he takes me to the dinners and stuff, you know, they know that I'm, a <laughs> I guess. So they, they uh, put a lot of faith in me and I'm really grateful for that opportunity. Yeah. That's so interesting. I wonder why evidently some things are, you know, more acceptable in graphic novel form than they would be in prose form. Why is that? No. And I know for middle grade, I always kind of confuse me because I like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do anything spicy in the comic book. It's sure. just like my level of romance is like the sound of music, you know, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a little handholding, maybe a sweet little kiss. Yeah. That's kind of the limit to it. And I, and, um, but, but even that was too much. I, I think, um, it, yeah, it always confused me because, you know, Frozen has like some romance in there and a lot of the Disney movies do. And that doesn't, nobody blinks an eye about that. Maybe right. just visual versus prose where you're like imagining everything yourself and it can get out of hand. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's just the terms. I think people hear love story and they think like it's going to be like a saucy romance type of, you mm. know, uh, t type of book in, in the same way that when people first heard graphic novels, they mm -hmm. thought, Oh, then that means it's violent or mm, mm -hmm. graphic. And, and so that it was hard. It, it takes a while for people to understand that, you know, the means, you know, the, the words can mean two, three or four different things. <laughs> and so I think so when someone hears romance and they're not reading the actual story, 
they think, oh, romance is in like a, you know, just like a something you buy at the supermarket, you know, and right? Share that with the kids. So, yeah, I think that's what happened. Well, I love it because I love graphic novels and I love middle grade, and I really love romance. I love it when a book has a romantic element to it. It's one of the the things that like holds my interest above all other things is that question of will they get together? Is there a happy, a romantic happy ending here? Um, so I'm super excited and I want, I'm just going to put it out there for all middle grade authors. When I was an 11 year old girl, I was super into kissing and romance. So I want to see more of it. <laughs> I hope that it's more of a thing. Agreed. Kazu, why don't you tell us a little bit about Amulet? Yeah, so Amulet um, is a project that I, I started working on in 1997 in college. Ooh, you too. <laughs> you just started on a project and don't let it go. Well, with graphic novels, they're so involved. It requires such a huge commitment. Um, and you kind of don't even know that you're making that commitment when you start. I don't think Amy and I knew that it was going to take this long, <laughs> or right. it, would, it would be such a such a you know daunting and difficult journey. I when I started, I just I, w- I was just focused on trying to make something that um, could fit on the shelf with Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind by Hayao Miyazaki, and uh, Bone by Jeff Smith. I read those two books, uh, book series, and I thought. Wow, that's this is like the experience I'm. I want to give to another person. I want someone to be able to begin my adventure at the when when the sun rises, and by the time the sun sets, they're done, and that day will always be remembered, and they'll come back to it again and again every now and then. Like maybe when they're twenty years old, they'll read it again, and then thirty or forty or fifty years old, they'll they'll read it again, and and they'll spend that one day on the weekend. Um, with a cup of tea or something and they just sit by the window and then they read the whole thing from beginning to end. That's how I read both Nausicaa and Bone. And I just thought there was only those two experiences that I could think of that that kind of fit the bill. And I thought, well, you know, we could really use another one. <laughs> and I and I started, I really didn't think I was the I was qualified for the job. Like I don't I was always making like jokey, crass comics that were just they were just generally funny and violent (laughs) and i you know i wasn't the kids comics guy and now people would think that that's ridiculous i guess because they always think of me as the kids comics guy um but um when i saw that um the the way that um comics were going and the way that the at the book industry was headed I, i felt that there was a real need for graphic novels i had always felt this um, from when I was in college, I thought, wow, these are very, very important pieces of work in our society. And I, and I saw that, uh, how affecting comics were in Japan and then in, in Europe. So I figured it would happen in the United States. And I thought like, yeah, I, I could probably be a part of that. And so when I was doing Amulet, I actually had to, to walk away from a project that it was a, that was, a, that was really passionate about called Daisy Cutter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had already done the first book in that series and I had to think, that it was more important um, to find new readers and allow young people and you know multiple generations to share the work. Uh, Daisy Cutter is very much like for someone who's uh, it's a very much a young adult book. You know, it is made for somebody who's just coming out of college and they're trying to figure out their lives. And I, and I think that uh, it it hits them pretty hard if they read it um, at that time. But I didn't see much for all ages comics. And so I made this shift over to Amulet. Um, and um, in doing so, I, I don't know, I, I feel like a lot of people thought I was, I was, uh, I was leaving something big behind. <laughs> but, um, but it, it turned out to, to be okay. You know, Amulet uh, has found its way. And it's sort of, um, you know, slowly becoming part of our cultural lexicon, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. I would say that it has definitely found its way. Um, yeah, I love Amulet. Um, of course, I'm dying for the last one, like all of your readers are. <laughs> Can you? I'm sure you're so sick of people asking, but how is Amulet Nine coming along? It's coming along really well. Um, I, um, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, when I started working on it, it felt like I was in a bit of a race. You know, not not with anybody else, but 
but myself really. And I, and I felt like I, I had to keep up with the, the pace of the vision and the ambition of the whole thing. Um, and as we were coming around the bend to the, to the final, this final book, I, I realized that there, there aren't too many people like me or doing books like this. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, so it, it, it has just been, you know, me on this like long trek along with my assistant, Jason Capo. Uh, we've been together on this journey for like 12 years together. Um, you know, I, I've been on this journey for like 20 something years on Amulet, um, but he's been with me for 12 of those, 12 to 13 now. And, you know, I didn't see a lot of a value in just pushing out the product just to meet, you know, uh, a perceived demand. Um, right. And I, you know, we're about to summit this journey. That this is going to be the mountaintop. You know, right here, we're going to climb it. We're going to, we're going to do the thing. <laughs> and I just decided to slow it down a little bit and think th- things through, so that whatever I produce now is remembered. You know, and I thought that was the most important thing. So this last book's taken a lot longer, not just because of the amount of work involved. It truly is the most. Um, work intensive. It's a book of the series. If, if you see it, you'll you'll know what we're talking about. But um, it was that we wanted to finish this project in style, mm-hmm. uh, and not just not just by way of the content, but for our lives as well. For for both me, my family, Jason, his family, we were going to come through uh, finishing this thing. Going, this was this journey was worth it, and we would like to do it again. Um, instead of uh, coming to the finish line broken, <laughs> <laughs> overly tired, and, and working to meet some deadline, and you know, I just decided to just just look away from that and 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 do this the right way so that I can do it again. Well, I think that that's brilliant, and I think it's important advice maybe for people to hear um, in novels, at least within the YA world, there's this expectation that a writer will put out one book a year. Um, and especially in writing a series, like it's very rare that publishers aren't really pushing for someone to create on this schedule. And that works for some of us. Like I'm myself, I'm pretty comfort comfortable doing one book a year, but I know lots of writers who that is a struggle and they just drive themselves nuts and have no life balance and there's so much stress. And then in the end, they're not always happy with the product they put out. Um, and so I think it's a good thing to, to recognize the ultimate product is what we should be focusing on, not these arbitrary schedules and deadlines. I agree (laughs) completely. I mean, we know so many other artists who've, uh, who've experienced burnout. I mean, I myself am one of them. Like after I did my first series sources and secretaries, that was under a really tight deadline and I finished it, but boy, was I burnt out afterwards. I like never wanted to draw another picture again, you know, <laughs> and it did take a really long, like six to seven year break where I didn't draw a single thing. And I just, oh, wow. it was that bad. I mean, my, my hand was arthritic <laughs> already or whatever. Like I had like these pains in my shoulders and I mean, I stayed up four nights in a row, uh, the last, at the very end there, just to push it through. And I was just like, what am I doing with my life? It's just not worth it. And, um, I, I we're in a much better place right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. And obviously this podcast, the happy writer, like <laughs> I, that's, I feel it's so it gets lost this idea that we should be finding some amount of joy in what we're creating. And if it gets to a point where it's just making you miserable and like literally in pain, <laughs> then maybe maybe take a step back and reevaluate. Yeah, for sure. Something's got to give at that yeah. point. You know, yeah. I, I once, um, I, uh, I once was at a, an event where I met, um, Norton Jester, the author of uh, the Phantom Tollbooth backstage. Mm. Mm-hmm. Both uh, set to speak, and so we sat down, and I was in the hallway, and I didn't know I was talking to Norton Jester until like midway through our conversation. <laughs> um, and we talked about life in general, and he um, talked about um, you know what he what his life was like, and it was uh, he was an architect, and he wasn't an author full time. That wasn't his job, you know. And every time he had an idea for a book that he wanted to share with the world, he you know produced it as a book. Uh, usually with Jules Pfeiffer. And, um, you know, and I thought, wow, that's a really 
that's a really good way to look at it, you know, because books, books are, are, are memories, right? That's, I, that's kind of what I feel we're, we're doing. We're putting, placing these, we're creating these memories. We're creating memories and putting it in a book form and people are going to put it on their shelf. And on that shelf, there's only so much space. You know, there's only so much space for the memories that a reader chooses to keep with them along their journey through life. And if we're focused on just filling that shelf with just our memory, like the one author's memories <laughs> and just content in general, then you're going to be pushing out all of these other memories that they can place on there. And, you know, you make, you make it harder for them to love your own, your work, you know, and that's, that's the way I, I, I was starting to think of it. I was like, wow, I've already got eight books. There's like eight, like these kids are reading eight books. They're putting it on their shelf. And that's a lot of space <laughs> that it takes mm-hmm. up. And so like every new page I create, I just think, wow, I'm asking for a lot from them, from that, for that one page. So every page now, it's like, as, as the years go on, I feel like every page is more valuable than it ever was that like, I have to get like the, the most value I can, I can give them <laughs> in that one page. Um, so that, because I'm going to push something else off the shelf. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they're, that's what I'm asking them to do. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, with that, um, mindset, it's also helped my, my, um, you know, my actual real physical life, you know, cause now I, I have more time with the kids and I'm not, I'm not abandoning them to, to go on the road or anything like that. Um, and they, and you can see how, you know, um, valuable it is to the kids they actually recognize it and they've you know come to me and said thank you they can see that i'm doing that <laughs> mm-hmm. that's powerful yeah and they, they're like you're the best and that's it's amazing that you'll do that and and i think that uh you know that's um i i would hope that that authors you know take that very balanced view <laughs> because we're sharing our, these ideas that become philosophies um for others and if you live your life in a healthy and um, you know, sustainable way, then you will be sharing that with others and they will have a healthy and sustainable life. And if you can do that, I think that, I, I don't know, I feel like you're adding value as opposed to causing problems. Right. I wonder, cause I agree that, you know, there can be, I mean, it's an honor. It's a huge honor to know that some reader has chosen to spend time with the story that you have created, the characters that you have created. And I've always felt that really strongly. Um, But when I spend too much time thinking about that, um, I feel like it can also come with a lot of pressure. Um, And like my, my internal perfectionist starts to come out. Like if I'm, if I'm thinking too much about, oh, I need to impress them with this first chapter, or I, I need to get characters or readers to fall in love with this character by, you know, such and such a page, then it gets to a point where it's like, that's all I can focus on. And so for me, I found like I, when I'm creating, I spend a lot less time thinking about the end reader and how they're going to respond. What about you? Are you keeping this idea in mind as you're working? Um, and how does that impact thoughts about pressure and perfectionism um you want to go first or i mean when i'm when i'm doing rima it's definitely just for me Mm. but that also makes me stop and think about my life and i'm like am i living in a way where if some younger person looked up to me i i would feel comfortable with them you know okay so for example when sorcerers and secretaries came out um a couple people came up to me and told me that they actually went went to the college that i went to because they loved my work so much and they wanted to oh wow and i was just like dang i wouldn't i don't know if i'd recommend that for everybody you know to like go (laughs) go to to get a degree in cartooning i'm not sure if that's you got to be sure that's what you want to do you know and so then it just kind of made me realize i'm not just spitting fire by myself and no one else is going to see the mess i'm making this is being broadcast to potentially thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And like, um, I just find if I, if I focus on my own life and live a, a life that's true to myself, uh, um, I don't have to think so much about, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Cause of- yeah. I, um, yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Um, I see, I, I actually kind of, I like the pressure 
So, I mean, Amy knows this about me. Like, I like high stakes. I like, um, you know, I, I'm I'm into I'm into sports, and I like you know fourth quarters and <laughs> all the drama. And you know, I I kind of like feeling like that this thing that I'm doing at this desk, where it's just scribbles on a piece of paper, you know, is is bigger than just that. So, I I think it's a personal it's a personality thing as well um, that I I do enjoy. Uh, you know, being being in the in that the pressure of the moment, and it kind of drives me to be better at the work that I do. Um, yeah. But I, I I know what you're saying. It is like it can be it can be a bit paralyzing if you think too much about the end result. Um, and you know, I I I used to feel that, but as the years went on, and I just see so many kids, and I talk to their parents, and I talk to teachers, and I talk to counselors, I talk to I'm just talking to so many people after a while, um, you know, it, like I'm, the fear goes away and you just, you're just in it. You're it's just, just where you work. It's the, it's your place that you work. If you're a doctor, you know, in a small town and you're the only doctor there <laughs> and everybody was coming to you as a patient, you know, after a while you just realize, you know, that your, your role there is, you know, just to, to help, you know, um, benefit the health of those around you like that. And then I think it, it doesn't feel as, um, you don't, you don't think too much about the pressure. You just do the job, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so for me, as I've traveled from school to school, to school, to school, and talked to, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids at this point, um, you know, I, I, you know, I know that there is a responsibility, you know, with my job that comes with my job. And, and it actually makes me feel more um, you know, locked in to doing good work. Because when I was young, I actually thought, I, I heard, hearing from other people about my comics, I, I just dismissed my own cartoons as silly things that are not important. <laughs> and I wanted to do work that was important, which is why I actually went and studied film. And I didn't go to art school. Um, I, didn't, uh, I didn't formally study to do this. Um, I just wanted to be part of something bigger. But then when I saw that comics have the potential to do that, um, I, I changed tracks back to comics and decided this is going to be where I, this is, this is going to be my station. This is where I work from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think it's a personality thing for, for me and, and Amy too. I think she likes to, she, she's, she's a, she's a leader and i i have always i've always kind of been too so we're we're kind of both like that when i did flight i I really enjoyed it we kind of have some difference we have so much in common by the way kazoo and i and but we have so many long conversations about this very type of question and in the end though i think like kazoo for example he loves mountain biking he likes you know snowboarding surfing he likes bombing down hills he likes being at the edge of that thrill. And I'm kind of more like, I just want to walk really slowly through the woods and stop and look at every flower and mushroom. And <laughs> it's just, we're going to get to the same place, but we get there very differently, I think. But <laughs> he's has to wait there for you for a long time. Both on the mountain, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doing different things. <laughs> Amy, I want to go back to something you said earlier um, that you had at one point experienced. Um, what was the word that you used? A, a really bad burnout um, creatively and that you had a six to seven year break before you came back to to art and to creating. And I'm curious if you recall, what was it or how did you end up finding your way back? <laughs> it was mostly Kazoo just whispering behind my back, like it would make a great graphic novel. <laughs> He really is your biggest fan. <laughs> yeah, and I hated that. I was just like, leave me alone. I'm going to be a writer. And like, my writing's terrible, but no. I, it's pretty bad. Okay. <laughs> it needs more practice. Obviously not. needs more practice. But my, my novel read more like a script, you know, like I would, give, I would give him copies. And it was like this big novel. It was like 500 pages or something. And he, he would read the whole thing. Bless your soul. You'd read the whole thing. Yeah. And he'd always stop and look at me with this like sheepish sheepish sort of grin and shrug. And he'd be like, it reads like a like a really good graphic novel series. And he was consistent with that the entire time. So um it's funny, like I was in denial still because I'm like, well, that's kazoo. Of course he would say that because like he said, he's like the only one making these big epic fantasy graphic novels in one sitting anymore right now. And I'm just like, well, actually not anymore, but he was at the time. And 
I was, he, he wants some company, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, so I, I was just, I asked my brother because my brother was always really, Amy, you can do this writing thing. Amy, you're a great writer. He was always, you know, pumping up my ego. So I, I did an experiment. I took one scene in the middle of the book and I had the chapter that I wrote in prose. And then I had like a really roughed out thumbnailed version of a comic book if I translated it into comics. And this was the first time I draw comics in about seven years. And I was like, let me just see, you know? And, you know, and I was like, so Tim, my brother, I'm like, what, read both of these, which one's more interesting. So I gave him the, the chapter that was written in prose and he read, he's like, oh yeah, that's pretty good. I was exciting. I want to know what happens next. And I was like, okay, and here's the comics version. And he just looked at the first panel and he's like, this is already way more interesting. <laughs> oh, like, how funny. I was like, okay, so because it wasn't lying, this is my research, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> my friends don't listen to me. Um, <laughs> you're always right. And I'm with you all the time. Right, but still, it hurts. You're, you're just, you're just, you see things, I think, before people are ready to hear them. Mm. But you've never mm. been wrong um, in my experience. Yeah, I don't know if yeah, I'm you've never always been right. right. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I yeah, I I try to I I try to give um it, you know, I I try to give advice that like I I don't want I don't want I'm not trying to hurt anybody. <laughs> but a lot of times yeah, people I I've had I get a lot of phone calls um from fellow writers, graphic novelists, artists just trying to make their way up in the world and I'd say 50% are really happy to hear the harsh truths that i'll throw down <laughs> mm-hmm. and then there's half that really take it the, the wrong way <laughs> and i think they they just they, they're 100 believing that i'm i'm wrong about you know uh, my thoughts on it um and so i, I I've, I've been hesitant to give advice now I, I get i get a little bit less um you know i'm less willing to these days <laughs> right. yeah because i don't want people to feel hurt or anything um, but I think there's like a general trajectory for where graphic novels are going. Um, and it's, it's it hasn't changed since when we started, Amy and I, mm-hmm. we've been talking about this, uh, before we got married, we know we were used to talk in, in late nights and just talk about where comics were going and it, and it, it wasn't where a lot of the industry was saying it was going to go. You know, a lot of them thought it was web comics and people just kept pushing, um, you know, superhero comics continually. Um, and looking at other countries, you just you, you can just model it from Japan and, and Europe that it was going to it was going to be all ages. It's going to be cartoonier, <laughs> um, much more accessible, broader uh, spectrum broad. of like uh, storylines. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then eventually it would become so big that it there would be a saturation, as you're seeing in Japan and in um, in European countries and uh, you know in South America. Uh, because it's been going on for for them, you know, they've had this for like seventy years. In, in comics in America, you know, has it there's a is a really um, it's a very turbulent history of uh, uh, for the industry um, where you know, especially after the fifties and sixties, um, you know, things kind of went in a pretty bad direction for comics. I mean, it, it, they they've just not been able to recover from things that happened in the 50s 60s and also in the 90s um and when i came into comics doing doing books like amulet i I had read all of that history i've done all of the homework (laughs) so i knew what the potential trajectory could be where we could go back into another hole like there there was years ago and i was really really careful about not allowing that to happen and doing doing things you know where um we could create something that we could sustain for a lot longer than our previous generations did. Um, and, and so the advice I would give to somebody is really just based on that model. Not so much like that. I'm right. I think it's just, it, it's just homework. <laughs> no, I agree. And I'm remember, cause I was really into manga when I was a teenager. Um, but you couldn't go to, Borders was the bookstore that, you know, was around. I miss Borders. Um, you couldn't go to Borders and buy manga. Um, and so my friends and I like used to have to ride the bus up to Seattle um, and buy it. And they were 
you know, at the Japanese bookstore and then come home and try to find translations. And, and I remember just being so jealous of Japan and these amazing graphic novels that they had for all ages with so many different, you know, storylines and, you know, fantasy and all of this. And I just thought, why can't America pick up on this? Why is this still something that is considered odd? You know, only the weird kids are reading this. Um, And so now in the last, you know, 25 years, seeing how much graphic novels have grown in our market, it has made me just absolutely delighted. Um, And especially for for kids who, uh, you know, who really respond to this art form um, where it just didn't used to exist for them, at least not on the level that it does now. Yeah, it's awesome. And I mean, it's so sad, like growing up when I went to Korea and and Korea is not quite as ubiquitous as Japan, the comic book industry there, but it was pretty much everywhere because they would translate the Japanese uh, comics into Korean. And it's just sort of I come back to Rochester, New York, where I grew up. And it was just sort of like it went from one place where art was everywhere, you know, like in every crevice, you know, just like in the newspapers and on the, you know, like on the buildings and just on trains and just every instruction had more embellishment with art that made it more attractive and memorable. And just it just there's art everywhere. And then I came to Rochester back to home to, you know, Rochester and it was like just sort of a desert of creativity. Mm. And I, and I know Americans are super creative and we're all, you know, we got, you know, so many amazing things that we create here. But I feel like when, when it comes to like the public square, it's still not kind of leaked into it as much as I would like to see it personally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think more, more art in public. And, and I feel like a comics culture can help with that a lot because, um, you know, comics can sort of invigorate that creative spirit and that, that sort of drive to doodle everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I see that when I go to Japan and Korea. Yeah, I'd like to see that here. And, and there have been outliers here in the United States that have yeah. made like you know, you know, huge, huge strides in that regard. When I think of Charles Schultz, you know, and mm-hmm. the, with everything to to do with uh, Peanuts and Snoopy, I, you know, it, Snoopy's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and it's quietly this huge thing here, but almost nobody in comics talks about. It peanuts yeah which is it's it's kind of it's a it's like um you know you go into the comics industry and it's just a whole nother world it's a it's like kind of a alternate universe where you know i feel like almost comics are an accessory in in that industry which is i mean i think that's i shouldn't say things like that but that like it just felt like that to me growing up in in a household where it was common knowledge and totally accepted that women were some of the top comics creators in the world you know and then when I went to School of Visual Arts, it was just like, we need more women in comics. And I just never really thought about it because I already know there's places around the world where that's possible. It wasn't like, maybe women don't like comics. It's like, of course they do. It's just, <laughs> we don't have it established here. And, yeah. You know, yeah, how interesting. It's changed so much though. I think when we were in kids, like it was just considered weird to do art and you're kind of an outsider um, if you were to make comics and cartoons and I think a lot of the people who would end up doing it, they embrace that, the being the outsider, to be kind of a loner in a way. Um, and, and that, I think, has a negative net effect over time. I mean, I love all that stuff. The indie comics and yeah. the underground comics are so cool yeah, looking. But, but there needs to be more for it to be a sustainable thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. like we need comics for everybody, just for businessmen and people who like sports and just people who like romance <laughs> there needs to be comics for everybody and you know the opportunities there now i've never seen it like this before and i'm just so grateful for everybody doing graphic novels right now to be present and doing the work that they do i mean it's awesome i don't think my book for example would have had a chance even i don't know like 10 15 years ago things have changed so quickly hmm. I want to talk craft briefly. Um, Obviously, you are both writing and illustrating your own graphic novels. And I'm curious with you, you know, being married, sharing a workspace, do you have very similar processes uh, or do you have very different processes? Do you bounce ideas off of each other? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty similar. It's similar, yeah. but then there's huge differences. I think 
in principle, we have a different way of approaching story writing. Like the stories come to us in different at a different pace. But like I, when it comes to straight up production, it's almost exactly the same, I'd say. Yeah, Amy is way more organized and way more professional than I am. Slower. <laughs> but but way I mean, slower. but I mean, when she says she does something, she does it like pretty much like as she plans to do it. I, I tend to be kind of fly by the seat of my pants. Um, I'm like a jazz player slash surfer skater kid. <laughs> <who> just, <laughs> okay, I'll sure I'll do it, and then I just roll in. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is a uh, way crazier than I thought it was going to be. Let's see if I can make it work. Woo! <laughs> and Amy watches that process and she thinks that she and her assistant Audra think that I'm crazy. So um, when I do that that type of thing, and I actually enjoy that. I, I like enjoy just being driving us crazy. Not enjoying. <laughs> The, you know, just that, um, like, I, I like being, you know, I, I like putting, testing myself in a, in a, in a situation where the, like, I, not, there's not a lot that's in my control. I can, you know, I want to, I want to see like how I can get through it. It's, it's, I think it's just the athlete. I mean, like I love mm-hmm. sports and, and that's, that's what you're doing all the time is like, how prepared are you to handle a high pressure moment? Um, and I, because I, I mean, I'm old and I didn't go through, you know, like with playing professional sports or anything like that. Um, I feel like if I can find something like that in my comics, I, I get really, I get extra excited. And I don't think I'm alone in this with comics because I, I talked to, um, you know, Jeannie Schultz, uh, you know, Charles Schultz's wife. Charles Schultz was like this. Um, he was very similar. And I, and I think there's a lot of, there's just a lot of the top cartoonists have um, have that um, competitive drive, you know, not to not to beat people, but just to like excel at something and be in a tough situation and and creatively navigate their way through it. So so when I write, I I write like that, and it's one of the reasons why I make comics and not movies. I because I, I studied film, I studied screenwriting, I went to film school, I w- worked in the film industry, and that was like the last day job I had, and. The problem that I had creatively working in film was that everything needed to be planned. Everything needed to be approved. And one of the great things about being a writer and working in publishing is that I am I'm allowed a lot more freedom mm. to just freelance on my story and just kind of, you know, just explore things um, in ways that I couldn't do if I was under the strain of a, of a big budget production. You know, because time is of the essence when you have 50 people on the clock on something, um, 50 to 1,000 people are waiting on you to make a decision. Um, whereas in, in publishing, you know, it's, it's mostly just you, you know. Um, the publishers are waiting, of course, and everybody down the chain who have to sell the books, you know, they're waiting, of course. Um, but, you know, there's, there's just a lot more creative control when it comes to... Um, alleviating and applying pressure to the creative process in publishing that I think, you know, garners better results in story, which is reflected in how, like, when they make movies, they're often making them based on content main books. I was thinking of the part two of that question where you're like, do you guys bounce ideas back and forth? I think um, I think we don't anymore. We used to when we first got married, and it caused a lot of butting heads. And we're just like, realize <laughs> that we shouldn't do that anymore. So these days we don't. Oh I, yeah, I will read Amulet when it's all done, you know, just in case. And like, um, same with Kazoo. He'll read when I've finished them, and like the whole thing. But there is one idea that he was really adamant about me keeping in my book, and I really wanted to cut it because I thought it was so cheesy, and I just wanted to share with you guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. The main character, Tabby, has this ring. It's like a translator ring where like, because, you know, I kept getting the question, like, how does she know what they're saying on Rima? Do they speak another language? And so I was like, sure, they do. And I'll just give her a translator ring. And I had one scene where she had it and that was it. And then I was never going to really mention it again. Because it was like, no, you got to really play up that translator ring. You should have a scene where like he takes it off or she takes it off and he just sounds like gibberish or something. And So I put that scene in there for him and... uh it's become one of my favorite scenes in the book but i don't know your sense of humor about those things like you know you're like that's the stuff that's the stuff stuff that comics are so great at. well i think stories you want to live in the stories and those little details allow readers to like hang out and engage um and oftentimes we cut that type of stuff out 
in service of plot. Yeah. And that's, that's where when there's too many cooks in the kitchen, too many editors or something, too many, too much feedback can usually cut out all the charming things that, you know, it's only going to hit maybe half the potential audience, but, you know, but for those 50% or maybe 30% of people, they'll find it really, really special. And they'll just remember, mm-hmm. they'll remember the book forever. Well, I love hearing that. Um, Cause I know I will talk to uh, you know, whether married couples who are both writers or friends who are really, really close and they'll say, oh, we share everything. Like if I, as soon as I get a new idea, I'm telling my husband or, you know, as soon as I write a chapter, she's the first one to critique it or, or whatever. And every time I hear those stories, I just feel like that would not work for my marriage at <laughs> all. <laughs> that would be terrible for us. Um, and my husband's not a writer, But even now, like there will be times when I'll be like, okay, I need to talk through this, this plot with you. I don't want it feedback. I'm not looking for ideas. I just need to talk it out. Yeah. I I have to sometimes say that too, uh, to my assistant, Jason and my editor too. I'll just know that I'm in a place where um, if I get feedback, it'll like lose us time on production. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Send me down roads where I explore them when I already explored them in my mind. But then if someone gives me feedback that makes me second guess that decision, I'll end up doing this, making the same mistakes twice. <laughs> right. I don't know. if, if Yeah. I, so I often like there's phases in a production of a book where I just say, please don't give me any feedback in this particular period because I, I, it, would, it would really damage our schedule. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my editor has been really, really good at just knowing when to apply the pressure and when not to. She's just been really good at just um, working around uh, both Amy and me. Um, and yeah, we share the same editor, yeah. Cassandra Fulton. Oh, nice. So she's been, she's been good. All right. Last question before we move on to our bonus round. Um, so you both obviously have been creating and, and making comics and graphic novels for many, many years. I want to know how do you continue to find joy in this work? I think one of the reasons I came back to comics and what attracted me to comics to begin with is that it's just, there is no end to the unlimited potential of it all. You know, you can, anything that you're interested in. And I think it's the same way for writing. I mean, you could be suddenly fascinated by what is marine reality, uh, biology all about, you know, and, or like what's, what's about what you know you want to do a deep dive into like um astronomy or something you can put that into your work and um i feel that way with comics i I don't think i'll ever get bored Mm -hmm. i just think it's a you know it's a medium like and with any medium it's a it's a vehicle for information and and i'm always learning something new to pass through my books um and that part of it is always exciting and the the more i do comics the the, the it's not easier but like i'm i have more tools as time goes on and I, i'm more comfortable using those tools and so um you know the the more and more you do it the more and more you're speak you're speaking instead of working hard to form the words <laughs> if mm. that makes and i think when you're starting if you're starting as an artist and writer in graphic novels you're probably more focused on whether or not you can draw the thing and finish the thing rather than um, focusing on what to say through the thing, you know, through the work. Um, and and I, it's nice now to be in a place where I can just focus on showing things that I think I can imagine, things I imagine and speaking the words that I, I just like to pass along. Um, and once you get into that mode where you're just playing the music without looking at the notes or just, you're just, kind of rolling through it um you know it just it just um i don't know it, you know it, it's as interesting as you want to make it <laughs> i guess uh, and it's not as uh it's not as burdensome the skill sets um aren't as burdensome this reminds me of something you said the other day kazu huh? where <laughs> you were you were saying that like um uh, as you're writing and if the idea is not good, the drawings don't turn out very good. So that sometimes mm-hmm. I hear you saying like, why aren't these drawings turning out right? And it's like, because you're not interested in what you're trying to draw. 
you know? So mm-hmm. that, so I think in that way, like with comics, especially like the drawings inform the writing and the writing informs the drawings. And it's like this sort of mm-hmm. tennis match back and forth between the two. And yeah, with that kind of <laughs> yeah, it's true. The book, the book often tells us when to stop writing or figure out something that we haven't figured out. Um, yeah. Cause it drawing just gets hard all of a sudden. And it's like the magic goes away <laughs> mm-hmm. and then that's when we just stop and and listen and read and study no that makes so much sense and i know for prose writing like we see this similar phenomenon happening where you'll get to a scene that oh it just feels like it's dragging on why can't i get the dialogue to sparkle why can't the plot just got so boring all of a sudden and similarly, it's those scenes that you realize, oh, I'm just not in love with this. And you kind of have to pause and then go back to the drawing board and figure out, okay, how can I make this work? How can I make myself excited about it? Because it's going to show through in the writing. The characters start saying things like, what are we doing? I don't know. Yeah. Where- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Awesome, you guys. We are going to wrap this up now with our happy writer bonus round. All right, first question, what book makes you happy? Happy? Um, well, the book I always I always uh, pull up is Cannery Row. That's just the book I go back to to remind myself why I write. It's the mm-hmm. one that started writing. So um, so Cannery Row is, the, is that book. Does it make you happy? Uh, um, it makes me calm. And I think that's happy. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I, I try not to get too high or too low. <laughs> you know, so I like, I like. You're not like skipping down the street. Yeah, I don't, I don't read something and just go. <laughs> so happy. You know, I, I, I think that there would be like a, a, a dip after that, you know, where <laughs> I, crash. I'm all of a sudden, yeah, I, get, I just crash and I'm depressed or something. So I, I like when I read Cannery Road, no matter where I'm at, I just, it brings me back to center. Hmm. And I go oh yeah that's that's right that's you know that's life right there i'd say hell's moving castle by uh, mm-hmm. diane really happy i just read it out loud to our kids too and i was very happy that they were happy with it also <laughs> oh, i cannot it's sitting on our to read to the kids shelf so i'm so excited to read it to them great do the voices and everything's super fun i mean it's the only book that i ever read and then i had to go back to the beginning and read it all over again and i did it in one sitting <laughs> Wow. I don't know. It just really resonates with me. I love that book. Yeah. No, I love it too. What is your personal mantra? Um, um, lower your expectations <laughs> because I'm also a perfectionist. So <laughs> I tell yeah. myself that a lot. What, one of my, 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 my first employer out of college, um, you know, is a really wise and funny guy who's been through a lot in his life and he's done so many things um you know when when he saw that i i was i was working for him as a graphic designer he didn't know i drew cartoons and stuff and he saw it and he looked at the work that i did and i said uh, and he asked me wait a minute why are you not doing that and, and i said uh oh well there's you know nobody you know wants to pay me for this <laughs> like it's just cartoons and everyone thinks it's garbage um you know, so I'm doing corporate graphic design because that's what people want. You know, and he kind of just looked at me, kind of like, hmm, and uh, saw the card the art, and he just said, "You do what you do." And I, it just stuck with me for a long time. He said that to me so, so many, many times. times. Yeah, I know. And I'm like, I know you do what you do. <laughs> so that's my mantra, and I go, "You do what you do." And some, sometimes somebody might look, you know, look at me and go, "What do you mean?" And I'm just thinking, "Well, it, you know." You, you can say you're going to do something, but until you, you're actually doing it, you're not, you're not doing it. <laughs> so I know it sounds simple and, but it, I think it, it can uh, like, it can untether a lot of really complicated knots in somebody's life. If they mm. just go after the thing and just do the thing, um, you know, and you know, there's just less complication. How do you fill the creative well? It really depends on why the well is empty. Um, I mean, sometimes it for me it would be um, well. For example, just randomly, I was watching. I think it's called Video Game Historian on YouTube, and they had a little history about um, 
Satoru Iwata, the former CEO and president of Nintendo. And it was just really inspiring and that kind of refilled my well. I don't know. It's random. Yeah, I guess just listening to things, just kind of being willing to, you know, kind of get out of a box <laughs> to go see different things and read different things and just seek out that stuff. And, and you know, just I think the more stuff you just sort of put in front of you or travel through or go seek out, uh, you, you will just find something in the process of doing that. Uh, that'll inform the work, um, you know. So, if I, I one of the worst places I, I would I could be when I'm writing is just sitting and looking at the piece of paper and forcing it out. That would mean I'm, I'm generating information that is not there. So, it, or it'll just be something that I have just sitting dormant in me, and maybe that's the thing that I need. But most of the time, it's not. So I just try to put myself into stream of information somewhere where like talking with my friends at the bookstore or the bike shop or, you know, just go out and paddleboard. I don't know, just anything. Then there's like some little thing that happens that becomes the inspiration. Um, you know, when you're fishing for this stuff, you don't, you don't, you don't know where the fish are, you know, but you know, the, the, the older I get, the better I am at, at fishing for these things. So I just, um, Go and do these things when everyone's like what's kazu doing why is he <laughs> he's like he's skiing all the time he's what is he doing and and uh, amy kind of knows that's just my writing process mm -hmm. yeah nobody believes me when i tell them i'm just like don't worry he's writing <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with reading or writing or in your case drawing Right now, I'm really loving, I have a little garden in the backyard and that brings me some joy every day and also cooking. I'm really into like cooking strange things. Like I made um, some daikon fruit pickles the other day that our daughter just Ooh. loved. That was really fun. Yeah. Um, just being with the family, I guess. I don't know. Everything. I, I like everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and then And then just playing sports, like mountain biking and, mm -hmm. and you know, basketball or something so but spending time with the family that's like always number one that's mm -hmm. that's most of uh, our days so i always ask what are you working on next i feel like we may have covered that with both of you but is there anything we didn't cover uh, no, I'm just working on book two and trying to wrap up um, the cover for book one. We're still working on that. Um, but yeah, that's about it for me. Just it's all Rima all the time now. Yeah. And um, after Amulet 9, um, I'll be working on a, a standalone graphic novel. Um, it's uh, going to be a little bit different than anything I've done before. Um, but it's something I've been working on for a long, long time. Uh, and aside from that, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. There's not much I can talk about. I think on the film side, there's you know a, the new no news right now, but I, you know it's likely that I'll probably be involved um, in some way to to make make that happen. Uh, now, now that I know what I I can afford to 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 give to a project like that in terms of time, um, I'll I'll be able to to be a collaborator. Um, with people making a film or show, I think. That is super exciting. Yeah, it could be. Lastly, where can people find you? Um, Amy. Oh, well, I guess I'm sort of on Twitter. I try to not engage in social media too much because it distracts me from my maternal duties. So, <laughs> um, but you can find me on Twitter at Amy Kibuishi. And I'm also on Instagram. That's more of my cooking stuff. I don't really post art there. That's, but that might change in the future. It's also at Amy Kibuishi on Instagram. Yeah. And I'm at Bolt City, uh, B O L T C I T Y, at uh, in, in Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. Amy Kazu, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you. For, it was a joy. Yeah. Thank you for inviting us. Readers, definitely check out Amulet. Most of the books are out now. We will all continue to wait with bated breath for the finale. 
Um, and of course, Realm of the Blue Mist, book one of the Rima Chronicles coming out next year. It is available for pre-order. Of course, we always encourage you to support your local independent bookstore if you can. If you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. Next week, I am super looking forward to talking to Julie Murphy, author of Dumplin'. We will be talking about her debut adult romance, If the Shoe Fits, along with the other 8 million projects she has had going on this year. So I definitely hope you will tune in and join us. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy, and whatever life throws at you today, I do hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier. <laughs>